scripture reading this morning is found in Deuteronomy 6, 20 through 25. Deuteronomy 6, 20 through 25. When your son asked you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Then he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in, to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that we that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then we shall be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Good morning again. I want to extend a welcome to our visitors again this morning. We're glad that you're out to be with us this morning. I have the uh, pleasure to introduce a guest speaker to you this morning. Uh, Dr. Harold Shank is here this morning to deliver our message. Uh, he's joined by his wife, Sally, and um, he uh, comes to us from West Virginia, so that'll make some of our West Virginiaites happy that we have a West Virginia resident with us. Uh, Harold is a uh, is a really great guy to be honest with you. I've gotten to know him a little bit over the last year or so and um, he, uh, he comes to us with a background of uh, many years preaching in Oklahoma and as a professor at Oklahoma Christian University. Um, he can share more about that with you. Um, he's also um, uh, president of Ohio Valley University currently and working in, in uh, Parkersburg there or Vienna uh, as the official address is. Um, as you can imagine, I'm sure um, trying to lead a Christian university in today's environment presents its own challenges and difficulties, and there's a lot of social currents right now that are making that, I'm sure, more difficult. But uh, the most important thing, as I said prior to Bible class this morning when I introduced him, that I think about Harold and, and his wife is that they're ministry-minded people, and um, I know he's a good preacher, and you'll see that very shortly. Thank you. We'll be studying from Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, um, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, sixth chapter of Deuteronomy. It's always humbling to uh, stand in the spot of a preacher like uh, uh, Matt Thomas, and I'm grateful to uh, him for relinquishing his spot and for the elders and Sam uh, Collier, Ricky Hall, and others who have made uh, this invitation possible. We're grateful uh, to be here today. At uh, Ohio Valley University, we sometimes talk about the sweet 16. We're not talking about the age that uh, some girls start to date, we're not talking about the basketball tournament, but we're talking about the uh, 16 states around uh, our university. So it goes from Kentucky up to Maine and uh, Indiana over to uh, New Jersey and Delaware. There are 16 uh, U.S. states in that region. Uh, District of Columbia makes number 17. 
And in those uh, 16 states, there are 139 million Americans. There are 2,246 congregations of Churches of Christ. There are 170,000 members of Churches of Christ. And in those 16 states, uh, Churches of Christ support uh, five child care agencies. Uh, there's one uh, in south, southwestern Ohio, Midwestern. And in those 16 states, uh, Churches of Christ are associated with six K through 12 schools. Uh, there are none of those in Ohio. And in those 16 states, there's one Christian university associated with our fellowship, and that's uh, OVU. And so uh, we're delighted to be serving alongside Churches of Christ, and, and under my leadership, uh, we t intend to stay a school associated uh, with our fellowship. We're glad to be here today. I hope you'll meet my wife, Sally. Also, Max Rules with us. Raise your hand there. He has a, a table out, and if you have uh, out in the hallway, if you'd like to have, uh, have some questions about the school, uh, Sally or Max or I could answer those. We'd like to invite you to come and visit with us uh, if you're a high school student thinking about going to college or a parent of a high school student thinking about going to college. Nothing more important than visiting uh, college campuses, and we like to do everything we can uh, to make that possible. We also have a couple of events coming up uh, on June 6th. That's next Saturday, 6-6. Six, six. Uh, we have our annual quartet sing and family fun day. Starts at 10.30 in the morning, goes to the middle of the afternoon, four or eight quartets from the four-state area will be uh, singing, there'll be food to buy, it's uh, just a grand day. And then on August the 8th, that's 8-8-15, uh, uh, we have uh, Teachers, Elders, Deacons workshop. So if you're a Sunday school teacher, an elder, deacon, uh, we have a whole day of activity and training for you. We also have Prepare, which is for high school men and women, 6th through 12th grade, uh, uh, training them to uh, preach, uh, the men to preach, and the women to be active in ministry. And so invited to come and be with us on, on those days, 6-6 uh, six, six and 8-8. Eight, eight. C.S. Lewis, uh, the author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Chronicles of Narnia, Screwtape Letters, uh, the British atheist turned Christian, uh, perhaps the foremost uh, apologetic writer in the Christian faith of the mid-20th century, uh, tells of being at the beach one day, watching a group of children at play. And the children weren't out in the water playing in the surf. They weren't building castles in the sand. Uh, weren't, they weren't chasing sea crabs. They weren't uh, uh, picking up seashells. But, but this group of children had come to the beach, and they were playing with broken pieces of glass. Someone had been to the beach earlier. Their litter included some glass bottles that were broken. And the children had come to the beach and were playing with broken pieces of glass. Lewis makes the point that children are so easily impressed, so easily influenced, that if they're not properly guided, they end up going to the beach and playing with broken pieces of glass. The world is filled with trash. I read a piece back in 1997 when I was a preacher that I thought was particularly pertinent at the time. came across it again this last winter, thought it was even more relevant today than it was then. It's a short paragraph. It's done by the Search Institute out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's called Starting Outright. It says, Never have we exposed children so early and relentlessly to cultural messages glamorizing violence, sex, possessions, alcohol, and tobacco 
with so few mediating influences from responsible adults. Never have we experienced such a numbing and reckless reliance on violence to solve problems, feel powerful, or be entertained. Never have so many children been permitted to rely on guns and gangs rather than parents, neighbors, religious congregations, and schools for protection and violence and guidance. Never have we pushed so many children onto the tumultuous sea of life without the life best of nurturing families and communities, caring schools, challenged minds, job prospects, and hope. Never. It's striking that in a time when we can create a cell phone that has apps on it that will do seemingly anything, when we can create a series of wind turbines on every mountain ridge to generate electricity, when we can drill down into the earth vertically for two or three miles, and then half mile horizontally in 360 degrees, find natural gas and bring it to the surface. When we could create an automobile that will start, drive itself into a parking garage and park between the two yellow lines, all without a human driver, in a time when we can do all that and more, we seem unable to raise a generation of young people to focus on the treasures of life rather than the trash. And I think this predicament raises some questions for us. It raises questions for us Americans. How can we live in a country with such ingenuity, resources, energy, and yet raise generation after generation of young people to grow up and focus on vice and promiscuity, on crime and violence, drugs and alcohol, and in so many cases to live adult lives of quiet desperation. And I think it raises questions for those of us who are Christians. Is God Almighty pleased with the way young people in your neighborhood are being raised? And does the way children are being raised in America, does it have anything to do with the Church of Christ? Does it have anything to do with this Church of Christ? Does it have anything to do with Christian people like you and me? And perhaps the most critical question we could ask this morning is, does the Bible have anything at all to say? Well, I've turned to Deuteronomy chapter 6 for several reasons. One is, this is the longest passage in the Bible about passing the faith on to the next generation. It's a text that's widely quoted in the rest of the Bible. The book of Deuteronomy is the record of three sermons that Moses delivers on one day, the day he dies, on the outskirts of the city of Jericho. They're on the verge of the conquest of the promised land. They've just completed 40 years of wilderness wanderings. And the generation that came out of Egypt has, for the most part, died in the wilderness. And the audience to Moses' three sermons that day is the next generation the young people of Israel. And the central, one of the central issues of the book of Deuteronomy is how do we pass the faith on to the next generation? How do we get the children of Israel to focus on the treasures of God rather than the trash of Canaan? 
And I've chosen chapter 6 because, in a sense, it's uh, the book of Deuteronomy with its 34 chapters in a nutshell. It's an outline of the entire book, in a sense. And what Moses does here is he gives us five principles for passing the faith on to the next generation. They're not particularly hard to understand. They're not particularly unique or new. And it doesn't take very long to go through them. We can do it in just a few minutes. The first principle, if you have your Bibles there, is verses 1 through 3. And the first principle is, in passing the faith on to the next generation, is that young people must see the faith being lived out. If you look at verse 1, he says, Be obedient to the commandments. And he's just listed the Ten Commandments in chapter 5. He says, Obey the statutes and ordinances of God. They'll be listed in chapters uh, uh, 12 through 26 of the book of Deuteronomy. But most of verses 1 through 3 is given over to the benefits of being obedient to God. You'll live long. Life will go well for you. You'll get the land. Your nation will multiply. But verse 2 is of particular interest to us because it says that when the young people see the faith being obeyed, they will learn to fear the Lord their God. And so the first principle in the chapter is that young people must see the faith being lived out. The second one is in verses uh, 4 through 9. And the principle here is that young people must be taught to love the Lord their God. These verses may be some of the most important verses in all of the Bible, certainly some of the most oft-quoted verses in the entire Bible. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus will quote these verses, and he'll say that what we have here is the great commandment of both Testaments. In Luke chapter 10, somebody else will quote these verses, and Jesus will say that what we have here is the way to eternal life. Listen to verses 4 through 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you sit down and when you rise, and you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your homes and on your gates. When Israel became Judaism in the exile, they began to recite these verses twice every day because of the importance of this material in passing on the faith to the next generation. Number two is young people must be taught to love the Lord their God. And the third point, the third principle here is in verses 10 through 15. And the principle here is a warning. And it's a warning that affluence will cause spiritual amnesia. He's talking to the next generation. They're about to go in and take the land. He says, when you go into the land, you're going to live in houses you didn't build, dwell in cities you didn't construct, drink water from cisterns you didn't hew, you're going to eat food from trees and vines you didn't plant. And the tendency when you have all that stuff is that you will forget about God. And he says in verse 11, when you eat and are full, take heed lest you forget the Lord your God. When our lives are filled with things, we tend to focus on the gift and not on the giver. And so 
Number three is a warning that affluence will cause spiritual amnesia. The fourth principle of passing on the faith to the next generation found in verses 16 through 19, and the principle here is that the problems of life will create a crisis for faith. He takes them back to Massa in Exodus chapter 17. They just left Egypt. They ran out of water. We humans can only live a few days without water. And those people had to decide whether they needed faith or they needed water more. They decided they needed water more. But in reality, they probably needed faith more than they needed water. And so the crises of life, the problems of life, will create a crisis for faith. That's number four. And the fifth one is in those last six verses that were read to us just a moment ago, verses 20 through 25. And the point here, the principle here, is that young people must be taught that our faith is based upon grace. Moses imagines that a child comes before the community. And the child has a question. Children then, children now have questions, spiritual questions. And this child wants to know, why do we have all these rules and regulations we have to keep? And Moses basically responds with a story. And the story has three points. We were slaves in the land of Egypt. God set us free, and he did it by his grace. We were homeless in the wilderness. God gave us his land, and he did it by his grace. We were clueless about how to live life. God gave us his teaching and he did it by his grace. Young people must be taught that faith is based upon grace. Well, Deuteronomy 6, five principles for passing the faith onto the next generation, proven true over uh, centuries, that young people must see the faith being lived out, must be taught to love the Lord their God, Warned about how affluence will cause spiritual amnesia. Warned about how the problems of life will create a crisis for faith. And taught that faith is based upon grace. It's quite a list. So what do we do with it? What what do we do after we leave here today? What does it mean to this church? What does it mean to the questions I raised at the beginning? Two thoughts. One is, I think these verses give us hope. Sally and I have been uh, traveling around the last four years in this part of the country in the Sweet 16, spending a lot of time uh, with elders and church leaders and uh, visiting with folks like you in, in, in homes and churches, preaching, teaching. And everywhere we go in Churches of Christ, we find, I find people like you very unhappy and uneasy about the direction of our nation. I hear people in prayers pray about uh, the government and, and the, where, where the government's leading us. And I, I hear people complaining about the media and what they're doing. I pe- hear people concerned about morality in our country. And I, I hear just lots of complaints and I share uh, all of those concerns. And so where do we find hope? Sally and I lived in Memphis, Tennessee for 22 years. At that time, it was the poorest city in America, the most violent city in America. And one day, I was taking a tour of the inner city where the poorest of the poor lived, government housing, uh, buildings that were substandard. There was broken glass everywhere, children playing everywhere. And at one point on our tour, our guide, a woman who lived in the neighborhood, stopped and she pointed to a group of children. And she said, do you see these children? And they were over there playing, some were young and old, big and small, just a a group of children. 
So you see these children, she said, none of these children know about Jesus. They think Jesus is a swear word. Nobody in their home reads the Bible. Nobody in their block of, of apartments goes to church. And she said, I've lived in this housing project for 17 years, and I've watched this happen over and over again. And if something isn't done, these children are going to grow up, and they're going to be the next drug runners, the next criminals, the next low life in our city. And I remember that afternoon going back home to our house in East Memphis, being just so discouraged and distraught. I thought, if this is the future of our community, if, if this is where that neighborhood's going, going, if this is where our country is headed, then what hope can there be? And then I thought of Deuteronomy 6. If those children could just see the faith being lived out, if they could just be taught to love God, warned about what affluence will do to their faith, warned about the problems of life, how to create a crisis for faith, if they could just be taught about grace, the world could be a very different place. Our nation would be a very different place. Right at this very moment, I know we're in a rural area, but within a few miles of this building, there's a little boy and, and he, he's young, he's innocent, he's not an agnostic, he's not an atheist. He doesn't have philosophical objections to the Christian faith. He's just a blank, a blank sheet. He's just a pure little boy. And, and he could grow up to be the next Moses, the next uh, David, the next Paul. He could grow up to be uh, the next uh, C.S. Lewis, the next uh, Batsel Barrett Baxter, the next, next Matt Thomas. Or he could grow up to be the next Saddam Hussein, the next Adolf Hitler. He grew up to be the next, uh, next person in the prison that's nearest to this building, the next person to get drunk and run a red light and kill a friend of yours. But right now, that little boy is pure and innocent. But there's one thing absolutely for sure about that little boy. He will be taught. He will be taught. He'll be taught by a godly coach or by somebody who just got out of prison and is intent on evil. He'll be taught by somebody who loves God or he'll be taught by somebody who bashes God. But he will be taught. And as we leave in just a few moments to go home or go to the restaurant or wherever you're headed, we'll drive within 10, 10 minutes of a little girl. And right now she's just... Uh, She's just a, a bubbly little girl. She has her whole future ahead of her. She's like Paul, Paul's empty field in 1 Corinthians 3. She's just, she just an empty soul. And she could grow up to be the next, uh, next Sarah, the next Hannah, the next Mary. She could grow up to be uh, the next mayor of your city, the next professor at Ohio Valley University, the next teacher of one of your Bible classes. Or she could grow up to be the next streetwalker in Columbus, Ohio, or the next drug user or the next person to bash the faith that you hold. There's one thing for sure about that little girl. She's going to be taught. She's going to be taught. And she'll be taught by someone who believes in God or someone who doesn't believe in God. She'll be taught by someone who bashes Christianity or someone who upholds Christianity. But she will be taught. 
The second thought out of this text is that it reminds us that the responsibility for passing on the faith to the next generation belongs to the entire older generation. This text is not written to parents in particular. He says here, O Israel, it's written to the whole community. And so it's the responsibility of all of the older generation to pass on the faith to the younger generation. Somewhere in Churches of Christ, we've adopted this idea that you retire from the Christian faith when you retire from your job. But that's not biblical. And so all of us have a responsibility, no matter who we are, how old we are, for passing on the faith to the next generation. You may have heard the name Larry Crabb. He was an author, Christian counselor, 10 or 15 years ago. Grew up in a fellowship much like ours. And one day, someone came up to him when he was a teenager and asked, said, Larry, would you, would you say the prayer to Lord's, Lord's table, just as we've celebrated this morning? And Larry was just a teenager, and he, he was kind of shy, wasn't a good public speaker. And he said, no, I don't really want to do that. I've never done that before. I don't want to do that. And the, the person who asked him pressed and said, no, Larry, you need to do it. You really need to do this. And so Larry finally gave in. And he practiced his prayer that week and got before the church, and his prayer went something like this. He said, Dear Father, we thank you for dying on the cross, and we thank you, Jesus, for raising the Holy Spirit from the dead. And as soon as he prayed the prayer, he knew he got it wrong. I mean, he just got confused. And he sat down in the pew, and he thought, the elders are going to confront me after church and accuse me of heresy. And the rest of the service, he started planning his escape route of how he was going to get out of the building through some little-used hallway and seldom-used door and escape that confrontation. So they sang the last verse of the last song. Larry jumped up, executed his escape plan, got to the door, and ran into Jim Dunbar, one of the elders. And Jim Dunbar forced Larry in the corner behind the door. He said, Larry Crabb, I want you to know that wherever you go and whatever you do for the kingdom of Jesus Christ, I'm behind you 1,000%. Well, Jim Dunbar knew about Deuteronomy 6. It takes all of the older generation to raise the next generation. When I was just starting out in ministry, uh, Sally and I were working at the Highland Church in Memphis. I was an intern going to school at the same time. And uh, we had just got married. It was 41 years ago. And uh, there was a, a, a little boy in the congregation named Jerry Lamb. He was about three, maybe four years old. And his father was the deacon of missions, and his grandfather was one of the elders. He had blonde hair, blue eyes. And at, at, after church every Sunday, he'd come up, and he'd climb up on the pulpit and play with the microphone. And he'd climb up on the communion table and play with the microphone. It drove the older people crazy. And, and I didn't give much thought to it because we didn't have kids. Well, then move ahead about 20 years. And Jerry Lamb now is a college student, one of our Christian schools, and he came back to that congregation that summer. I was now the preacher. He came back to that congregation as, as the youth intern. And, and he took, the, took the, the young men to camp, and he had a cabin full of tw 11, 12, 13-year-old boys. And there was one boy in particular, a tall 12-year-old, lanky, uh, awkward for his age, and, and, and Jerry spent that whole week talking to those boys about God. And when the week was over, 
that tall 12-year-old boy went to his parents and said, I want to be baptized into Christ. I want to give my life to Jesus. We'll move ahead another, about another 20 years. And that 12-year-old boy, tall and awkward for his age, he's now married, has a little girl of his own, and he and his wife are in charge of the benevolent ministry of the Belmore Road Church of Christ. Well, that 12-year-old boy who's now at the Belmore Road Church of Christ, his name is Daniel Shank. And he's my son. And I'm forever grateful to Jerry Lamb for the influence he had on my son coming to know God. Sam Nunn was senator from Georgia back in the late 90s. Spoke in 96, I think it was, at the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. And during that prayer breakfast, during his speech, he told this story. It was during the war in Bosnia and Serbia. He said there was an American reporter covering the war. He was on a deserted street. A shot rang out from one of the apartment buildings to his right, and he looked down at the end of the block and there was a little girl on the street running across the street and the sniper had hit her with his bullet. So the American uh, threw down his pad and his, and his uh, pencil and he ran down to the little girl and just at the same time, a local man, a Serbian, came out of one of the apartment buildings. He reached the girl first, he gathered her up in his arms. The American arrived, said, I have a car, I'll take you to the hospital. So they loaded in his car. The man in the back seat holding, holding the little girl said, hurry, my friend, uh, my, my little girl is still breathing. And the American drove a little bit faster. And the man in the back seat said, hurry, my friend, my, my little girl is still warm. And he drove even, even faster. And, and the man in the back seat pled, he said, hurry, my friend, the little, the, my little child is growing cold. And they were too late. And the American and the Serbian were in the restroom of the hospital washing off the little girl's blood when the Serbian man began to talk to no one in particular. He said, I now have the awful task of telling that little girl's parents that their girl has died. And the American Stopped washing his hands. He was astounded. He said, but I thought, I thought she was your little girl. And the man from Serbia said, but aren't they all our children? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. Of course, the New Testament goes on to more fully explain Christian faith and the role of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the crucial point, pivot point of our faith. And that it's a story we must hear, that we must believe, 
that we must confess that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that we must give up our lives of sin, put them on in baptism. And if there's some part of that process that you need to complete today, I would urge you to make it known if you'd like to be baptized. I think that could be handled today. Or if you have a concern on your heart, perhaps a child that you know of that you'd like the elders to pray for, I'm sure I've been told the elders are very uh, responsive to that sort of need. You can make, make that known at this time also. But if, if, if there's anything that you could be served by, the, any way you could be served by this church, just come as we stand and as we sing this song.